We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. On episodes when Shelly and I don't have a guest, once or twice a week, we like to bring you a big idea wrapped in a sample size package. We call these our micro episodes that you can listen to on your way to the grocery store or running an errand. Why? Because the big journeys are made of thousands of tiny steps. Welcome to The Big Self Show. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. Hey everyone, this is Shelly here. It's great to have you here, Shell. It's been a few episodes. How you doing? I'm great. <laughs> I like I like you calling me Shell. <laughs> That's what he calls me, y'all. Shell Bell. Yes, Shelly that's Belly. right. Well, yeah. it is great to have you here. It's good to be here. And we are here because we wanted to, in this particular episode, this micro episode, set the record straight on this idea of some misappropriated Enneagram theory that we've been hearing, especially on arrows. Well, let's set this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we obviously are not the holders of the truth when it comes to what we want to share with you all. However, we have been taught a theory that kind of challenges a little bit of the conventional wisdom around the arrow theories and wing theories, um, but specifically the arrow theories, which is what we want to talk about briefly today. Oh, we are authorities. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. We have a lot of opinions, and and I think more importantly, we are coaching a lot of people right now, and we are working inside organizations, and we see this theory in the wild, and a lot of our work, of course, is around burnout and stress. Yeah. And so when I think of arrows, I almost, I feel like that can be a more complex and uh, on the surface complicated Enneagram theory. And yet once you really begin working with the Enneagram as a growth tool, of course, then uh, I find arrows to be profound uh, Mm -hmm. growth territory. But it almost procedurally, we have to talk about wings briefly in order to get to arrows with a little bit of clarity. So I kind of want to be a little bit more deliberate about that. We're really not going to focus on wings in um, in this discussion, but like to get to arrows, let's mention it real quick. Uh, wings are not subtypes, as we frequently try to remind everyone that a lot of times that the wing theory that developed in the 90s. And what are the wings? Remind people that may not know. The wings are your neighboring styles. So if you are a Enneagram one, you have a neighboring style of nine. If you're going to the reverse and then chronologically as you move forward, Two is your other neighboring style. Yeah, they're the two types on either side sitting adjacent to your dominant type. And in terms of the wisdom of the arrangement of the Enneagram, all of the styles are arranged in this very intelligent, wise way that uh, there is this 
method to the madness of why they are your neighboring styles as different as they often may be. And so we, generally speaking, we would say that wing work is probably what you would do first because it is more of this um, evolutionary growth to, to break free a little bit from the confines of your personality style you would be be more conscious and deliberate about visiting your neighboring styles. Can I say something real Please. quick? I love that you're saying style hmm. and instead of type. And because I think that that gets to really what is happening for people, it's much more nuanced than um, than I'm a two wing three. You know, or like right. like somehow that some somehow characterizes a type or a subtype. So the style word you're using, I think, gets to the heart of what it is, which is an energy. So when you're doing wing work, you're doing arrow work. It is much more about energetic shifting, mm-hmm. loosening, flexibility that these neighboring styles, as you're saying, can give you some of that flexibility, some of those energetic shifts. And when we're talking about wings, it is it is more subtle. It's more subtle energetic shifts that these two wings can give you. And well, thanks for thanks for that. You know, I th- I didn't even realize I was quite doing that. Jerry Wagner, who we had on about a month ago on the podcast, does tend to use that uh, language, and but I, I was kind of using it interchangeably of between type and, and style. Uh, but you can, as as some tests indicate, and as the language we use, you can go to the high or low side of either of your neighboring types or styles. And, and you can go there consciously or unconsciously. A lot of people who say like, oh, I'm a, a one wing nine. What they're meaning there, generally speaking, is that they, by default, unconsciously, by habit, they're more familiar with defaulting into the tendencies of their neighboring wing style of, say, nine in this case. But we are not using it definitionally to define how who you are. With their subtypes, there's a place for that. That's in another discussion. But what we are advocating for, as this is not who you are, but these are types in order to be able to have directions for growth. And so wings are, you consciously try to go to the high side characteristics of your two neighboring uh, types. So you would intentionally be like, okay, I'm say I'm a, let's change the number. Let's say I'm a seven and I want to have a little bit more. I want to get out of my optimism a little bit and I'm going to go to my six wing. So then I would intentionally think of the high sides of what it would mean to be in my six. And, and, and by contrast, I would say, well, I'm very familiar with my six. Say my spouse is a six. I'm very familiar with what it's like to go to six. I'm As my growth work, I'm going to intentionally go to my side of eight. And I'm going to go into more of the body center of intelligence. I'm going to be a little bit more bold and authoritative and in the high sides of going to eight. I want to just jump in real quick because the way that I think about it for myself 
is when I'm, and I'm not doing a lot of wing work at this point, Mm -hmm. um, but when I was and was really reflecting and intentionally doing this as a two, I would ask myself, like, what does a really healthy one have to teach me? Yeah. What does a really healthy three have to teach me? Like, let me think about that. Let me pinpoint the healthy ones I know in my life and what I admire. Like, what what is it about them that they're doing yeah. that I need to work on? It's the same with the healthy threes. And so I have I have a, a vision of these are the things that I I probably need to start adopting a little bit more intentionally to get out of my pride or to get out of my constant need to other reference. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I think there's, it, it just, th- that's how I think about it. I don't necessarily think about high and low side, I gotcha. but more about what does the each type have to teach me? Well, I really like that you said that. And thanks for the personal anecdote. And, you know, I'll share mine briefly then. Uh, at, but, but for me, I, w- I became as a four, I became aware of my tendencies both in five and in three to probably be pretty unconscious. So I was aware of like when I was in five, I would really what the way I viewed being in five was that I would really withdraw from the world. I would get really into my head. I would have these, like, I wouldn't be letting anyone into my castle and I would just surround myself in the world of ideas and kind of not be very human in that way. And then honestly, too, the times that I was aware of going into what I would consider my three wing, it was this very like my, I don't have any personal meaning unless I'm just getting things done. I don't even feel good about myself. I'm kind of down unless I'm checking boxes and executing and doing, doing, doing. So my at least wing work was consciously going into three in this way of like, Hey, let's, let's be adaptive. Let's be focused. Let's, let's work on aiming to success. And, and same with like, um, the high side of the characteristics of the five. Okay. I think we've laid enough groundwork on the wings, which is not even what we were wanting to discuss here. It is arrows. What typically what you'll hear in kind of mainstream Enneagram theory parlance is this, that you go to one of your arrows in stress is typically what, what people think about. And it's very similar to what we are talking about with wing work is that you have more, we tend to have more consciousness about one arrow over the other that doesn't mean we're doing that in growth or stress. And so one arrow might be a little bit more comfortable for you. And so we, you know, you'll hear people say, well, that's your arrow in growth. And the way we think about it, again, it's much more nuanced than that. We believe that you can go to both of your arrows in growth and you can go to both of your arrows in stress. And so what does that mean? That means that you can be consciously working toward integrating the energy of both of the arrows that sit, um, you know, that sit next to your, or are, are drawn to your type. 
How, how would you define arrows? Maybe we should do that first. Well, they, by, by contrast to the wings being evolutionary work, we think of wings as being bigger personality leaps. So the framework we would describe it with is revolutionary, bigger, bigger jumps. And actually, the language that we use that we've adopted from and adapted from CP Enneagram is that the first arrow that you would go to is the energizing arrow and the second arrow is what we would call resolution. So there is a bit what that indicates is there is a a bit of a progression, a suggested chronology of going to one uh, before you really consider the characteristics of the other. Yeah, your arrows, just to briefly say, they are the types that sit across from your dominant type that are connected by the arrow. And I think that it would be good to give an example here. So as a two, my arrow, what people would say my arrow in growth, um, which your energizing we arrow. are saying is your energizing arrow is to type four. So what that means is I can be conscious about really working on the energy, bringing in the energy of four. Yeah, welcome. It's, it's warm inside. <laughs> bringing the energy of four into my decisions, into my um, thought process, into the way I think about the world, but really spending some time in four land is how I think about it. I can also be- adopt energy of four unconsciously mm-hmm. and I can get moody, uh, sullen. I can get down and a little bit depressed. And sometimes Chad will even say like, oh, I think there's, you're in your four right now. Comparatitis. Yeah. Comparatitis, some of that envy going on. So, so when I'm not conscious, that type, the four energy can really stress me out. And there's lots of interesting things to consider about where the arrow is taking you also just in terms of center of intelligence. Sometimes the arrow just keeps you in your center of intelligence as uh, as Shelley's indicating here. So she, as a two, would be in her heart center of intelligence and the very first energizing arrow takes her across the board over to four, which besides, um, and I don't mean to take over your ex- explanation of it, um, but I think of, when I think of your move to, to four, it's because the twos are so other referencing in the heart space and fours are so self-referencing and considering what they think first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what I'm what I'm trying to show here is that even though people will typically say that I go to four in growth, it can stress me out uh-huh, a lot. Yeah. Like I can get into this kind of uh, deeper, self-reflective, kind of melancholy place that is not growth for me. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's almost like a step backwards. That's a great point. So, and then the other, you know, I my quote arrow in stress would be to and to type eight, and that is a leap for me in my growth work to be more direct. To your be your resolution arrow, yes, or resolution as we're ta- we're saying it, it is. Um, 
it's direct, it's confrontational, it's embodied, it's got, you know, control and power. That is harder for me. And that's the huge leap. That's why it's like, hey, let's let's be in terms of we could just procedurally go like once you are comfortable considering how you feel, what you think, not considering the opinions of others first in foreland, then maybe you are ready to leap all the way across to the big, bold, who cares what anyone thinks land of the body intelligence of the eight. Yeah. And I think when you're not conscious as a two and you get activated or you get reactive or just angry, which we don't always acknowledge our anger, then it can come out. Um, and I would always call it my, um, my Irish temper. Right. It comes out and it looks eight-ish, right? And so people are like, well, I'm stressed, so I'm in my eight arrow. Well, not completely. Like, I, you know, you can do that. You can take on a lot of that eight energy unconsciously, which of course would stress. It's, it's motivated and activated by stress and it leads to stress. On the other hand, you can be much more conscious and intentional about being direct, um, going against, I am taking up space in my body and doing that eight energetic work that doesn't stress you out. It actually starts to feel good. It's like this new suit you wear. It's um, trying on new ways of kind of energetically showing up in the world. And for me, a lot, it's just finding my voice and using it. And so I think, and that's empowering and that's exciting. That's not stressful. Getting to it, I think can be, um, can be stressful, which is why we encourage people to do that energizing work first, kind of go to my four, sit with myself, reflect on my emotions, do some, um, you know, self-observation and journaling and really looking at what am I feeling? And then the energy of the eight is what empowers me to then voice it, to communicate it, to go out into the world and be a little bit more um, empowered, I think would be the word. And so so both of those arrows can be stressful for me and both Mm. of those arrows have a lot of capacity for growth for me as well. Well, and I do like the idea of you can go to either one, as you've been saying, you can go to either one in stress. And other ways of saying it is you can go to either arrow consciously, deliberately aiming for all the high side characteristics. And you can go to the low sides when you're defaulting into unconscious behaviors and, you know, and, and it's even these are general. We're, we're just painting with broad brushstrokes here because you can go to an arrow, say that's the first arrow that's supposed to be easier. And there may be wounds there. There may be shadow sides. There may be psychological work that you have to do to really be comfortable in that land. And I'm thinking of myself in this particular um, way of like my first arrows to one and then to two. 
And one territory for me has a shadow side. There is a rigidity. There can be a rigidity there. There can be different examples of how I grew up um, interpreting one so that when I'm def- even trying to be actually healthy in one, the, I have a, I push back. I can I can resist and my my little wounded adolescent can come out and kind of rebel and push against the one. Mm-hmm. So there there are just but that's great because it's pointing me in an area that I can still really grow in myself. Mm-hmm. I think the the core of what we're saying is that both your wings and your arrows it's not descriptive like in terms of describing your personality type or even what you do in growth or stress, they're prescriptive in terms of how do you use your wings and your arrows to grow. Hmm. That is the goal here. And they both, all four of all four of those points on the Enneagram across from your type, your dominant type, have so much, so much good stuff to teach you whether you are in growth or whether you are in stress. And so I think that would be the homework I would give you is to really sit with what do these four other points on the Enneagram have to teach me? What do they have to show me? Um, You know, if you don't know what they are or what they have to teach or show you, we would invite you to hop in our Facebook group. Like, have some conversations with us. We're in there every day. Uh, we're growing the group. There's, um, it's just, it's really exciting to see people doing the work, asking the deep questions, and trying to grapple with, okay, how do I use the system to grow and to get out of this burned out, stressful place that I'm in? Yeah. So, come in and join the conversation. And that is the idea behind the Enneagram. We'll say one more time. It is, it's not just another typology. It is a tool that we use for growth. We believe that that is the, how the whole Enneagram originated in the first place. And you can also maybe just get a little bit of a taste of how it's more than just knowing your type. The more that you know all of the types, all of these spectrums of personality, behavior, and human behavior, is it just helps you become more fluid, more relaxed, and to be able to more easily recognize your patterns and break free from them. So we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Enneagram and Growth with a focus on correcting some of the ideas that we've seen around arrow language. Thanks for joining us. This episode is sponsored by goodboycreative.co, a boutique marketing agency based out of Canada that gives your brand that extra dimension of intelligence and creativity. From content strategy and SEO plus SEM to social content of all kinds to brand identity, even web design and UX UI, Good Boy Creative has you covered. Check them out now at goodboycreative.co backslash big self. That's goodboycreative.co backslash big self.